0: Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode
2: well good movies hello and welcome to well good movies the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching regular listeners may have realized by now that i am not your regular host taking over for one episode only following our victory in the champion of champions Endgame special i am your host ed mason and i'm joined by my co-host she dragged me to victory in the end games and now she's helping me drag our guest through movie hell today it's alexandra mccready oh hi alex
3: I haven't heard you call me Alexander before, it's very unnerving. Um, hello, how are you, Ed?
2: I'm doing all right. How are, you, are you looking forward to what we've lined up for our guests today?
3: Yeah, it's my favourite film. I think it's one of the greatest films ever ever made, maybe. Um, it just shows that you don't need to be a good actor to make an impeccable film.
2: Uh, well, as I alluded to, to, movie hell, possibly movie greatness, as we've heard from Alex, and that's because, as we uh, talked about, we're discussing The Room, uh, just to be clear, not the, not, it's not Room, the 2015 Oscar-winning film starring Brie Larson. It's not even the 2019 horror film called The Room that YouTube kept wanting me to buy and assumed I was talking about when I started researching this episode. Now, it's the 2003 film uh, directed, written, produced by and starring Tommy Wiseau the auteur of the moment, which has gained a reputation for being a really, really bad film. But, you know, we just heard from Alex that maybe it's one of the best films ever. So is it really that bad? Is it so bad that it's good? That's what we're talking about today. And so here to help us with that, we couldn't keep him off his own podcast for long. It's David Osgar. Oh, hi, David
0: hello this is very strange how <laughs>
2: yeah, how, yeah how does it feel being a guest rather than the host i
0: know it's usually if somebody does take over it's like craig or someone so it's yeah very odd i was even thinking earlier today i was just like going over the intro in my mind and i was like wait i don't even have to do this
2: <laughs> and also like me are saying the sorts of lines that you and you end up saying as well does it feel like <laughs> you know when you, when you when you listen to a recording back and it's not quite your voice it's like wait this isn't, isn't actually my voice
0: yeah it's kind of like um I know, it, it's, uh, I suppose everyone puts their spin on it as well, which is a nice thing. So it, it is refreshing in a way, but it's also like, yeah, when you've like written down a speech or something and then you hear somebody else reading it and you're just like, hmm, oh, okay, I wouldn't have gone about it that way, but fair enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> are, are you saying that oh, I'm doing a substandard and that you wouldn't have done it this way? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. He's Unbelievable. Just,
0: I'm happy with the changes.
2: <laughs> he's already trying to take control back of his own particle. That's terrible. I've got it for at least... Uh, one episode more. Anyway, <laughs> Tommy Wiseau, you're fired, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are Greg in this context, I guess. <laughs> with, with David, he's normally his co-host, now he's his co-guest. It's Craig McDonald. Oh, hi, Craig.
1: Do not talk about me in the context of being co-anything to David. I am my own person.
2: Okay. Okay, okay number six. Uh, so how, how are you finding this experience? Uh, are you regretting it more or less than when Alex and I made you watch Pudsy?
1: That's That was just a war crime. That's just unforgivable what you did to me for that episode. What's more unforgivable is Alex also then not showing up and therefore just getting out of that experience. Enjoy this dog film. Bye!
0: I'm also glad that like now now you said about watching somebody else do this, uh, Ed, I'm now fully appreciating it. I'm like, all the choices are the right ones because Craig is berating someone else. <laughs> and somebody else's response is just, okay. <laughs>
1: Why would why would you do that, David? I, I was leaving you alone. Why would you put yourself back in my radar?
3: I feel like we've been here for 10 minutes and already we're tearing the podcast <laughs> apart. Got another like hour of this to go.
2: What you're saying, Alex, is you're tearing me apart. All, all, all the hits already. Anyway, before we do that, I just wanted to talk quickly about uh, bad films in general, because obviously we're moving into award season. We're already sort of in an award season, we've just had the Golden Globes happen, the Oscars are a couple of months away and with the Oscars, fittingly for this episode you get the Golden Razzie Awards Uh, don't you follow the Razzies as much as you do the Oscars? How do you find all that?
0: You know, I think in some ways the Razzies haven't aged well in some respects because you get a lot of like film journalists especially who kind of go, you know, when they're reacting to things like the Guardian articles which we mentioned before in regards to Shrek, that kind of like, if you have nothing nice to say, why say anything at all, kind of aspect and where people have like here's my worst films of the year a lot of critics and people on YouTube socials and stuff don't like that kind of stuff anymore so I think the Razzies have kind of lost their popularity in that way that they a lot of people don't like to celebrate (laughs) negativity as much as they used to unless it's something like Donald Trump has uh, brought out (laughs) a documentary or something which obviously uh, went down well in previous shows but I don't know they they kind of Slipped under the radar a bit more, I feel.
1: I also just think the standard of bad we have at the moment is just just kind of boring bad. Like years ago, you would get things which try to be like so ambitious that when they fail because of absolute naivety that it's just interestingly bad, or you have people who are just so up their own ass that they manage to create something so obnoxiously bad, uh, that you get razzy sweeps of of Jack and Jill. Uh, just winning everything and getting more nominations than there are categories. Um, But yeah, at the moment, it's just... I think it's also just because there's so much good content out there as well, that there's not really much of an incentive for people to just go and watch bad stuff anymore. Um, I think there are just enough good options out there that people just sort of ignore it. So half the films that end up turning up are just films I've just never heard of. Or they just go for really low-hanging fruit. There aren't any there aren't any good novelty choices anymore. I think it's my big thing.
3: I think a lot of the films that get called out as bad are called out because they're like problematically bad as well, rather than they're just like kind of funnily bad. Like the film that Sia made recently, which was just like terrible in every single way, yep. rather than like actual bad films that are kind of fun to watch as well. Although saying that I've just remembered that the Cats um, musical exists, um, and I think that's, an, again, another piece of fine cinematography.
1: Yeah, but we know how you do half of your, half of your listening experience.
3: Mm, no, I was entirely sober when I watched Cats. Uh, watch it in the cinema with some good friends. It was a good time.
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm all supporting of like James Corden being like, you know, the winner of worst supporting actor for Cats. But then when you get somebody like Tom Hooper for the worst director, you're just a bit like, you know did he actually direct it badly or was it just that it just turned into like a complete mess because of everything like you know that that's you know that's the the weird thing about those moments etc like something like say this year if like space jam won then you would be like you could kind of get on board with it because it's just a very like greedy hollywood film so they kind of deserve it in that way but if it's just someone who had like a creative vision and tried to do it and just did it badly it's just it just looks a bit i don't know sour when you're just like ha 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 look at that you know how badly it did in a way it's it's probably worse that it's just forgotten when we're talking about like you know mediocre bad films whereas like said something like cats is just famous for how awful it is so like giving it a razzie is then almost like well are you saying that it's amazing because it's so bad or are you saying that it is like awful down the lines of, like, actual, like Alex said, problematic films, etc.
2: I I did notice when I was looking through as well that uh, The Room obviously didn't make any of those nominations or win any Razzies itself, because at that point it was so bad that nobody actually cared about it. Uh, And and it was only then when people started attending midnight screenings and shouting along to the the screen with their lines and throwing American footballs around the cinema and whatever uh, that people actually started to take notice of it. Uh, and it's only now that and and it's, it's only sort of, is a say, low-hanging fruits or sort of political points. So I just brought up on my screen here, like what won last year, and uh, Rudy Giuliani and his pants zipper, or just by himself, uh, depending on which award he's winning, got a couple for for that subsequent movie film. I think like Donald Trump got some as well. There, there was someone I think like one, one sort of right-wing politicos who who won a a, a, a Razzie. And said thank you so much like because the sorts of people that you know follow me on you know on twitter and all that don't really like sort of hollywood liberal types so it seems to be like e- e- either political stuff or it's haha cats is shit isn't it here have six razzies for being so shit
3: to be fair and- although the room may not have won a razzie um tommy was did pay for it to be in cinemas uh, specifically for it to be long enough to be nominated for the oscars um, and I res I respect the confidence. I think he made the right
0: decision. Yeah, it would it would have been ironic if then he was then nominated for Razzies due to that decision. But uh, yeah, uh, like you said, Ed, I find it weird when Rudy Giuliani is like wins like Worst Supporting Actor, and it's like, how is he an actor? Like it's just you know, like when they do stuff like that, is just like like Trump, etc. It's not like you see the best category for documentaries or something like people in documentaries are then nominated for best actor because it's not a performance
3: (laughs) if you ever want to have a bit of a fun afternoon reading the first version of the room script wonderful it makes absolutely like no sense whatsoever and the lines are just bizarre like there's a scene where he pours water over his friend and then he's like oh no i'm so sorry and the guy's just like yeah we'll just talk about your problems now it's just like it's so like has this man yeah. never interacted with another human being in his life um i love it i love it so much
0: have you actually read the like you know the final script because it'd be interesting like how much difference there is between that and the edit because i was trying to think like watching the disaster artist how many people went to see that and was like oh this isn't what we shot or like this is completely different in the way that he edited it obviously with lines like you're my favorite customer i was like you know, did they just like edit that in? You know, because they shot it badly. Or...
3: I haven't they, read the script that they actually worked off. I've only read the script that the because it got leaked not that long ago, um, and I like maybe two years ago. I read that. It's a good time. I would
2: recommend I, it. I think I saw something that uh, one of Tommy Wiseau's sort of things as a director was being very specific about people reading exactly the words that were on the script, and if you deviated even once you know, even even for one second. That was terrible. You might be a terrible actor. Say it again. We're doing this again. So yeah, e- even if the things that he said uh, that he'd written down didn't make that much sense and they were trying desperately to change it to make it normal English in some cases. Um so the script probably wasn't that actually that was different, I thought, apart from like maybe one or two things that were that you know would change just by you know accident. Or, or him, as well, I just said, the flower scene, that you know, him improvising the oh hi doggy, because the doggy had just been there, sort of not doing much. Uh, And he'd been a bit freaked out by that. So he decided just to, you know, pet him (laughs) and and see what happens.
1: So let me get this straight. Please, because it's almost certain he would have requested the dog to be there. Because it it wouldn't be like somebody says, Oh, I brought my dog. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. He would, he would, he had a vision for everything. So just the fact he then got, went, Oh, I haven't actually done anything with this dog. Hi, doggy. I
3: mean, the cast was replaced like three times. So. Did he replace the dog three times? Is that the third version of the dog? Did the dog get paid? The
2: the dog dog in the final 16 and 17 seconds is actually like the third dog from the first second. It's a super cut of all three different dogs.
0: Maybe just there wasn't a dog intended at all. Maybe they were just like, maybe this dog just walked in and was just sat down and they were just like... Is this
2: this your dog? No, it's it's probably Tommy's dog. It's probably probably his dog. No, no, no. Well, Okay. Um, Anyway, so even though we started talking about the room mostly, I think we you know, just sort of officially move on uh, to that and sort of you know, talk about, sort of try and detail in as many ways as possible, I guess, the ways in which it is bad and how it is bad. Like, did anyone, like, what, one of the things I, I was sort of posting in, a, in, in our group chat uh when we, when we were organizing this was how you've got a YouTube video which sort of collates all the parts of the plot and how, uh, you know, all the plot, plot-driven scenes, and that's 15 minutes long which is, uh, compared to the 90 minutes, is it 90 or 100 minutes, the main film, it's not that much. Um, I was also quite surprised it was that much. So did, did, it, did anyone get any sort of actual plot to the film that made much That's sense? A plot. Oh, no, no, please, Alex, tell me how many intricate levels of the plot. There, go on.
3: Tommy, misunderstood hero of the entire thing, obviously. He's got a lot going on. He works in a high-powered job. And his girlfriend, just an awful person who cheats on him with his best mate, He's, and her mum has breast cancer, which is meant to be empowering to women. Um, I started researching that, but I was so confused by the whole concept that I just stopped. Um, and then, because even I wasn't quite on on the level to so understand that properly, the next part of the plot is that he confronts his friend, and then they find out, and then it's like Romeo and Juliet, they all die.
1: Wait, they all die? We see one death.
2: I, I was almost expecting that, that. That almost felt like it could have made more sense to me as I was watching it. That he seemed to be in a, you know, it seemed like he was getting into a murderous state where he was just going to kill everyone.
0: It did. There did seem to be some assumption that he could still be alive because that's one of my favorite moments in the film is just the whole like he shot himself in the head and then, you know, they come in like, wake up, Johnny. And it's just like, I don't think he's going to wake up from a. Gun bullets <laughs> to the
2: head. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like blood all over himself. You can see a massive pool. It may as well be a swimming pool of blood behind his head. No, no, he'll wake up soon. It's it's just uh...
0: he's just messing around. That jokes to Johnny, but yeah, with with the plot, I kind of I always watched it as a like, okay, this is like a badly made film. You've gone for a very like simple plot because it just seems so like soap, you know, like TV drama esque. And they do stretch it out. Uh, So I suppose there is a plot there. There is story. But it's just because they've gone with such a simple story that they just kind of have to stretch it out for like an hour and a half, I suppose. Which, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of very successful Oscar-winning movies do the same thing. of Like, right, this take this simple concept and (laughs) stretch it out. But uh, yeah, this... I don't know, maybe it's also the visuals and the sets and stuff. It just reminds me of something like Neighbours or something like that. You know, where all the elements come in of, like, you know, the breast cancer and, like, oh, I'm going to leave Johnny and, like, all the, like, two, two-person two conversations as well.
1: To be fair, I think Tommy Wiseau always sort of intended it to be, like, a broader look at human nature. So even though the story is meant to focus on, you know, this triple dynamic... He does want to have a lot of scenes that basically focus on uh like Tommy's relationship to wider humanity. Even if even if conceptually those ideas are and I quote fucking moronic. I think it's a, I think it's just a nice attempt, right? Because however many other times are you going to see somebody who wants to show the bonding by letting his best friends have sex in his house out of nowhere? playing football at all given times of the day, including when they're about to be going to some formal function that we never see, having a friend who's a psychiatrist, having pictures of spoons in his
2: house. It just seems to be like, either the plot points are like dragged on interminably and you have like the same scene basically between Lisa and her mother, like three or four different times where they say pretty much the same things, or you just have... One line where Claudette has breast cancer, one 90-second scene where Denny does drugs, like uh apparent, out of nowhere, uh Lisa's claiming that uh Johnny hit her, which he did not. It's bullshit, he did not. Right. Because obviously that's that that sort of scene as well as one which I've is, is you know, I've seen loads of times before before I'd actually watched the, the film itself. And I sort of surprised that it did basically come out of nowhere. Like we don't see him being told, like. And I, that, that seems like it's a fairly important part of the film, if it's meant to be part of the film, right? Is, you know, he, he's in this middle of this breakup, potentially, even though he doesn't realise it at the time. Um, and part of this is that she's lying about him hitting her, maybe. He just sort of pushed her later, so maybe he is the sort of person that would do that. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't want to sort of slander a fictional character.
3: See, I'm hearing you all say that it's like repetitive, but I don't think there's one scene in that film that is in any way boring. I think it keeps you guessing it every single turn. I'm not sure that another film can do that because you can't predict what's going to happen next. Like, really, like, although it follows the most simple plotline of the, the age old story of um, love and loss, I guess, um, I, I think it's the most unpredictable film that exists and therefore it's impossible to be bored while watching it.
2: Yeah, I was just saying as well that also it seems to be very real life, uh, maybe to the point of, being overly real life because i had a bit written down about all the sorts of clunky dialogue and like when they go to the coffee shop you see two whole couple you know two sets of couples before um mark and uh johnny actually ordering their coffee and then like you see them ordering their coffee like is a hot chocolate yes please medium yes please how about yours i'll have a tea on the medium yes please and you know you get the full happy birthday song even though I don't think that would happen in most places.
0: It just seems like he's very intent on having that messaging, doesn't he? And it does help when you know things like the book or like the films that have been made afterwards or just him as a person in general. It's that idea of he's like, oh, yeah, it's typical American thing, you know, and all of this stuff. So like in his head, he's put in this there and thinks it makes sense because like, oh, yeah. People play football all the time, you know, and it's like, that's an integral part of the plot. But like
2: to other people, they're like,
1: wow, this doesn't make any sense.
0: And, and playing
2: football is obviously throwing the football around. It's not like playing football mm. at all. Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: Do we know if anyone's done any sort of analytical breakdown of The Room in comparison to the works of Tennessee Williams, just to see the sort of parallels of writing? Because that, that is literally how they advertise this film. So my favourite relationship with this film is that I actually entered a quiz which was all about The Room. And I came 10th of 32 uh, when they were in teams and I was on my own. And one of the things they made us do was watch the trailer and we had to memorise as much as we could about the trailer. And one of them was, this film is the greatest drama since, since who? And yeah, Tennessee Williams. They do love to try and build on that comparison. And as we'll discuss later with Disaster Artists and how many times it gets referenced there, I just want to know if he genuinely thinks there's something about how Tennessee Williams writes his, uh, writes his stories and plays, etc., that he was trying to emulate?
2: I just like the idea that maybe, like, if, if we go along with what he's claiming now, which is that it was always meant to be a black comedy, maybe he just really, really hates Tennessee Williams's stories and that thinks, thinks they're totally horrible, and that's actually just him satirising Williams.
0: I, th- I think the problem with, like, the black comedy stuff as well is that is what other people have said, and it's also said in the Disaster Artist is that this does seem to be coming from a personal place. There does seem to be this element of like him having elements of his life into the story, or feeling that he wants to portray certain characters in certain ways. Because in in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people just watch it like, why is this Lisa person such a bad person? Where is this coming from? Like, why why are you choosing to go? down this line especially when you do have the dialogue with the mother which you know alex is right in the sense of it's entertaining when you get those repetitive scenes because she's like so focused on like he's a lovely person you should be with him he's such a nice person like the amount of times in this script you say about how a nice person he is it's just like what is we're so like tommy was so trying to say here like what, what what how has he been wronged and why does he want to like vindicate himself so much
2: you know, it's, it's like a misread this sort of show not tell and it's like show and tell then show and tell again maybe show and tell it a third time and, and then tell it for a fourth time just to be on the safe side because you, know, you don't know where these audiences do you
0: but but also don't show or tell in other circumstances such as you know the hitting and the drugs and, you know the party and
2: no, that would be silly we don't need to see any, any reason why they've got tuxedos on I mean that's what people do right if they've got back travel wedding they wear tuxedos just, what, what more do you want being too picky david
0: yeah well that's where you you can just imagine him that saying all of that stuff though can't you like when the couple just randomly has sex in their house you like you could imagine people they're like why are we doing this where does this come from and he's like oh it's like typical american thing like people you know like oh it's like love and lust and we need to show that on screen as if it is like this artistic thing but because of just the the way it's shown narratively we just think like this has come out of nowhere <laughs> maybe tommy was so needs to be a more like avant-garde director
1: (laughs) how can you say that well that film was not avant-garde jesus christ (laughs) it's the most unique thing i've ever seen in my life
3: it's unique and yet a repetition of every like piece of fake american culture that you can possibly imagine beautiful
1: i just want to know who did the uh who did the soundtrack for it because it's one of the most hauntingly beautiful synth sort of pieces i've dealt with in a while
2: so the wikipedia page for the room does actually list a soundtrack album uh, not not just songs the album uh, it says the score was written by let's completely mispronounce this uh, this name mladen and now let's mispronounce the university's name loyola marymount university so you know he's actually been you know, a proper music professor who presumably had to like study how to do music
0: yeah to be fair their imdb has got 44 credits one of them is the disaster artist, but it says music department, not composer. So I don't know if it just means that he did the recreation stuff. or
3: I do think like budget wise, it's impressive that firstly, he spent six million on this. Where did that six million go? Um, I don't understand what part of this film cost that amount of money. Like in comparison, Reservoir Dogs, I think the budget for Reservoir Dogs was like a million. Well, like 1.2
2: million or something. This this probably moves on to what we we're talking about next about production values and like where all the money went and how they did beforehand, isn't it? And I, I think wasn't that most most of it like he had two different cameras, like 35 mil and HD, which
1: he outright bought.
2: Yeah, like most mo- most major studios even will will we'll just rent them because why why would you want to have cameras laying around your house? Uh, so the, he, he bought them, he had uh, he built a special sort of set so that he could film simultaneously. He then proceeded not to use any of the HG film in the actual final movie. Um, he had to have two whole different casts because you had one for the HG and one for 35 mil. He went through about three different casts because people disappeared because he was a rubbish director and it was very shoddily done, the whole thing. Um, and then he had the billboard that was like, Lasting for five years, I don't know if the six million dollars is included in that.
1: That and I imagine part of the budget would have also been paying for two weeks to keep theaters to have it.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to see this like alternate cut. I think it might be like Blade Runner or Zack Snyder or something. Like one day we're gonna have the HD cut of uh, the room. Like you know how we're gonna see this. Totally look, different-looking film. Like that might be the first time in history we've ever had that, in which they're like, "Hey, you think you know what this film looks like? Now, now we're going to see it like filmed in this different camera because we filmed them both at the same time, like next to each other." I
1: do not want to see Tommy Wasso's ass <laughs> in HD. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but like Ed said, if there was like different people in it, that would be even more entertaining, especially if they changed from scene to scene. <laughs>
3: You know the um, sex scene with Tommy Wiseau You know the actress refused to film that a second time I think they were meant to film it like three times For three separate sex scenes And the film and the actress was just like No, not doing that, not again
2: Yeah, I thought this was going to be like two minutes long It's actually what, six minutes And you want to put the whole thing in Because I think don't they they just use the same scene But maybe because they don't have it as long As the original scene was They just cut out separate parts So maybe you can't quite tell it's literally the same scene you've just seen but it's quite obviously the same scene because it's the same people wearing the same things doing the same stuff i don't know i I was trying to not look during the sex scenes because it was just so cringy so uh i i i I couldn't sort of comment on how how obviously they're the same scene
0: it's just the music that makes me laugh that song just like how cheesy it is like and that's very much a catalog of song and it seems like it's like an advert or something and then you're like oh god (laughs) like this is and just the, the inappropriateness of Denny. Like, where does that come from? Especially, like, I suppose we're going back to story kind of stuff here. But what was he thinking with that? Like, why do, why is he, like, in the bed? Like, I just want to join you guys. And then later on when he's just like, can I kiss you? And, like, it's just like, what is going on here? What
2: what was he thinking with this? It did almost feel like at points where, because they, they do sort of, you know, put in that he is almost like a son figure that maybe Johnny wanted to adopt him when he was, uh, when he was, uh, child as well so there's like it almost felt like they did just ha- want to have a, a five-year-old uh, but then they went you can't have a five-year-old on set that's silly the a there's like loads of laws and b come on now like just 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 age him up to be a college age uh student uh, and you're paying for his tuition and you're paying for an empowerment all that and then but we're not going to cut out the bit where you know a five-year-old trying to join you in bed not quite understanding that you're trying to have sex might make sense but denny doing that but,
3: mm. <laughs> I mean, Tommy's just a different breed. He's just he's just better than the rest. He's built. He's a vampire. Vampire's a different breed,
2: right? Or, or was I just Johnny mm-hmm. that was a vampire? I keep forgetting. To- Tommy wanted to like create sets and like you know and maybe have them taken down, then to actually just bring them back up. I, I actually wanted that set all along. Why did you take it down? Uh, including like the rooftop, which they couldn't just go onto a normal roof and and film there because that would be normal that's what normal filmmakers do what well, what Tommy Wiseau did was have a i think it was in a car park where they sort of had a, had the little tin sheds which is a completely impossible entrance to from, from from a house but never mind and they just cgi'd uh, fairly bad i don't know I don't remember how cgi was in 2003 but uh it still looks fairly bad cgi for like a, a, a surrounding view
3: it's not subtle does anyone have any fun theories as to where he got six million quid from?
0: Drugs. Or just where all of his money comes from. Again,
1: it's like the yeah. lifestyle as well, isn't it? <laughs>
3: where does any of it come from? Where does he come from? No one knows.
1: I'm telling you, he is somebody who got a taste for drugs, became a massive cartel leader, and just constantly on the stuff. That he just is the only thing that explains so much about his life.
2: And then possibly that's why he because I think it's, well I think from his accent he's probably Eastern European originally.
1: Oh no, I actually do think he is from. Uh, he is from. Where did he say he's from?
2: New Orleans is where he yeah. says he's from. I
1: think he is actually from New Orleans, but just the drugs has just altered his accent so
2: much. I mean, I mean, there's there's there's, there's a Reddit detective that suggested that he's from Poland, and then thought that maybe his original surname was. Uh, some, some Polish surname beginning with W. And then he took that plus, uh, the French word for bird oiseau, and, and, got from that oiseau, uh, and, and then said, no, uh, no, I am American now because, well, I mean, you know, it, it, when, when you emigrate to a country, frequently people, uh, you know, just identify as that new nationality. Uh, so, you know, he is American. He's not going to mention where he came from before then. Uh, Maybe he's running from a cartel, and that's where he got his money from. He doesn't want to be in Europe anymore because he might get killed. I who knows?
0: I think that's why people do love, like, that is a part of the legacy. And, like, the following, though, is just because these days you don't have that. There isn't this element of mystery with anybody anymore because, you know, your entire life is on social media and your name, and you, you can check out people's, like, work in the past, etc. So I think it is quite interesting for people that he potentially has come over to america and said right this is my name now was my stage name and there's just no trace of a previous life you know i so i i think that yeah he is like potentially like eastern european i think it might be i I don't know i think i've seen stuff before that some people think that he has a lot of money like invested into like industry or something like that or there might be like a lot of inheritance from like
1: a family maybe
3: (laughs) i think yeah there was like active theories that it was all from property or something he had family in the property business
1: which would make sense if he has if he has random flats he's not using in both San Francisco and Los Angeles. And
0: is just so flippant with his money. I think it would make sense if it is the kind of like something that's just constantly providing an income. Like if he owns like, I don't know, a big estate. Like maybe he's from like a really wealthy family. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what people like love so much about him as well. Is that he's like a modern enigma and people just don't know like for sure. And that's the same appeal with this film that there's just such a story around it as we were saying earlier Whereas something like cats or other bad movies people were just like i think was it terminator one of the terminator films like recently where emilia clark was just like yeah we everyone knew that that film was bad on set we knew what it was but it was just like a mediocre like action film whereas this has just got so many stories behind it as we've said like things like changing casts and his weird like ways of directing and the awful time that people had on set i think it just all adds to the enigma doesn't it
2: that's things so do, do you think that if if we got if we forgot a time machine uh took a copy of the film went back to 2002 uh, instead of 2003 and then just made the film ourselves do, do you think we've got something there that we could beat into it or, or is it like part of him himself that actually is is the reason why people watch it
1: it's very much a passion project for him right I think we have too much sense about us that we would just want to do things as faithfully as possible, but there'd just be a small inkling in the back of our heads where we would try and alter things to make a little bit more sense, or if anything, we would try and f*** it up in weirder ways to try and make it weirder, at which point I think that just loses a lot of its sort of authenticity of attempt. Whereas with him, it's very much, he didn't want to make a bad film, right? I don't care what he says right anything he says at this point he's just lying he wanted to make a masterpiece he wanted to have something that would just have a, a positive stamp on the world but he had absolutely no idea what he was doing so he i agree with alex I, I i i do think this is a great film i do not think he in any way intended it to turn out the way that he did and in the same way as well, because like David and I have done various sort of film projects before, nothing we have ever done has ever tried to do what he has done. I don't think anyone ever has tried to do what he's done. That's why I just don't think you. I don't think you can try to do it.
3: I think it's very much like one of a kind as well. I don't think there's anyone who's attempted anything similar since. Um, and I think like it's all about him as well because like it's so personal to him clearly.
1: You say that, Alex. There was a film a couple of years ago uh, that cast as its uh, two lead actors, uh, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero. I want to say it was just called Best Friends, who clearly were just trying to to sort of emulate and profit off of the, succe- of the success of The Room um, to a similar degree. So I think they did try and do something similar, since, but it failed because the filmmakers knew what they were doing. So at that point, it just comes off as as really ungenuine, and it's just okay. This just feels like a cash grab, and also, the fact they're trying to direct these people seriously just means that their performances come off as uh, come off as weird as here, where it comes off as weirdly artistic.
0: The unintentional aspect of it is, you know, and that's why it is hard to watch it and be like, no, I I don't think you intended this to be a dark comedy, and. And that's why, like you said, it's more evident when you watch things like Best Friends because, yeah, I think Greg has, you know, because they have an involvement in that as well. So it's not even like the filmmakers kind of like approached them. I think like Greg is like a writer on it as well. So it's like almost them doing the actual comedy that they, you know, were so claimed to have made with uh, The Room. But then Best Friends shows that, you know, if that isn't as funny or isn't funny at all, then uh, clearly maybe he didn't intend to do that. With the room, but I think even when you look at like films, like one that gets thrown around a lot with this is like *Birdemic*, of like you know one of those like awful, terrible films. But to me, that isn't as interesting because it is just so shoddy. Like it's the the element of bad student filmmaking of just like these like terrible CGI effects, etc. So while it's like entertaining to watch for just like how badly it's done. It's just, that's all it is, if you know what I mean. There's no kind of, like, weird loopholes and, like, you know, plot holes and, like, where's this this story come from when it's just people who are doing, like, really dramatic acting, like, oh, my God, and, you know, like, terrible CGI effects. You know, you see it for five minutes, and you're like, okay, I get it. It's just bad, you know, but where where's this? You know, it, it does keep your attention because it does keep evolving. It's like, what, where did they come from? Why are they here? Like... And, you know, the it does make you laugh as to, like, how complex it is, in a, in a way. Whereas other terrible, bad films that are thrown around in the same way are just bad, and there's no... There's no depth to them. And while I don't think, like, the room has, like, an artistic depth, there's just a, a different type of depth of just, like, what is this man thinking? What was happening? How did this come to be? Why does this not make sense? We... Where did this come from? All, all of that kind of, you know, elements, I guess, in a way. The only similar thing I could think of in terms of like bad movies, and this is not in the same entertainment or category as The Room, but is something like The Last Bend in which that is very much like they've taken three seasons, you know, like an entire season of something, squeezed it into one film. So it means that there's loads of nonsensical stuff happening and you do have like bad effects and stuff there, which are just comical and stupid. And you're watching it with the lens of like, how did anybody think that this was good or like thought that this was going well? And that's probably what the people who were making the room had the reaction of as well, because Tommy was so intent on his vision and we see it in the disaster artist being like, um, why are you laughing at that? And he's like, oh, you know, because that's the way it should be. So I suppose nobody like that would ever have six million dollars you know, to make a movie again, I suppose.
2: So it's almost all about whether it's actually then good. Like, Are, are there any parts that I, I put it down here on my notes sheet as any redeeming features? in the sense of are there any parts you think are actually genuinely good, not like cringely good? Um, I mean, with the, with the, with the one section I thought was that there, 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 there seem to be parts when it almost starts, you know, well, for like the comedy of it almost becomes like the text of the film rather than just what people take afterwards. So like there are parts when like Claudette and Peter, like almost fourth wall break, Um, So, you know, Claudette's like, why are these people coming into your house? Why are these characters here? Do you use the word characters rather than people, right? And it's like Grand Central Station. Like, you know, doesn't doesn't Denny have his own kitchen? Like, why is he coming here literally asking for a cup of sugar? Something that never happens in real life ever. Um, And then you get Peter sort of going, um, you know, acting as a psychologist, going, people are people. Sometimes they just can't see their own faults stare at camera after telling Tommy that. Like, probably not Johnny that, right, like, Tommy? Can't just see their own faults, can they? But were, there, were there any other parts that people actually genuinely liked from that as opposed to uh, just revelling in the horribleness of it? I
3: think it's all a masterpiece. I couldn't pick a favourite moment. I think it's all
1: impeccably done. I think for me, Chris R is probably my favourite uh, favorite, uh, character in the film uh, on a few reasons. One, I just think his power and aggression... I just sort of bought into it above uh, above the acting of other people. Where granted, I think that everyone has their own style. He's the one that sort of was the most real to me. Too, I just like the sort of joke idea of he wasn't actually meant to have a gun; that he just lost his he just lost his temper and just wanted money. I was just held a gun to a kid's head for his money.
2: Well, you say kid, but apparently Denny, the actor, despite being the... oh, he's in his mid twenties. Yeah, it is is the oldest actor on set. Yeah.
1: Uh, wait, oldest on set including including Claudette.
2: Okay, out of the other people then, out, out of everyone else, out of, you know, the people who are acting as his parents and all of that, yeah. and, you know, out, out of that main crew.
0: And um Tommy, which is his age is unknown. <laughs> what
1: are you talking about? He says several times in Disaster Artist, he's about 20.
0: Yeah. Sure, and I'm 14. <laughs> That was uh, one of my favorite parts in Disaster Artist when He's like, happy birthday (laughs) to the mother.
2: I I also uh, didn't realize until YouTube recommended to me as I was looking through this, that that you're tearing me apart, Lisa, comes directly from Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. You're tearing me apart when he's talking to his parents. Uh, And that that also means, uh, fun fact, that uh, James Franco has had a golden globe for playing a person who says both of those lines because he got one for The Disaster Artist and he also got one for being James Dean in an early, two, in an early 2000s film. So it turns out that uh, James Franco is 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 second only to Tommy Wiseau in being the king of all of this.
3: Like, who'd have thought that Tommy Wiseau and James Franco, like, they, they're just not, they're not similar people, are they? James Franco being Tommy Wiseau, I think is kind of wild. And then it's absolutely incredible how close to character he actually is. Like, I, Jay, the portrayal of Tommy White, like, you forget that you're not watching Tommy in some of the disaster artists, in my opinion. I think it's phenomenal.
1: Especially when they actually show uh, Tommy in the end credit scene, and he has such a different look. Like, he's got short hair, he's got a goatee. It's, it's I, wild. I kind of,
0: like, the first time I watched that, I was like, oh, what's going on here? Like, why does he look that way? But then I realised the second watch, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now, because... He says at the end of that where he's like, oh, you know, Greg's friends are weird. Like, so, because I think that scene was meant to be in the scene where he's talking to his actor friend and he's like, oh, why are you hanging around with him? He's like this weird vampire guy. So I think that that scene was meant to be there. So obviously they were trying to disguise him more to like make sure that it didn't look like Tommy, that it would be within, you know, the realms of possibility that he would come across somebody who looked a bit like him in real life. But In the context of an end credit scene, you're kind of like, oh, why didn't you just have Tommy Wiseau appear as as Tommy Wiseau? But I think they wanted to have him actually like in the plot originally, so they disguised him more.
1: See, I think he's just meant to be playing like a person who is essentially just James Franco.
2: Star starring James Franco as Tommy Wiseau and Tommy (laughs) Tommy Wiseau as James James Franco. Yeah. Obviously, age
1: range range for 2003. Whenever, actually, when is the film set? 'Cause it's released in two thousand three, but like
2: Yeah, if we're taking it literally and saying not not in the sense of the dialogue's just rubbish. They talk about like how how Lisa's like working in computer things as if that's a fully understandable and, and complete job title, which can only really be like mid nineties, probably.
0: Yeah, like the the disaster artist goes from like nineteen ninety nine or something yeah. like that. So it kinda does seem like the period in which he like wrote it. But yeah, that that whole idea of like how much he becomes the character kind of rung true for me when because at first, I think when you start watching, you're like, okay, this takes a while, because Tommy So is such a character, it's hard to not see somebody as them imitating that character. But then as the story and film goes on, I think what Alex said is right, is that he does become Tommy was so, so much, and like that really like stuck in my mind the most when it came to the, the story the filming of the sex scene in Disaster Artist, in which, like, when it was, like, he was, like, walking around naked and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, God, like, you don't want to see Tommy was so naked. Like, oh, I don't want to see his ass. I was like, hang on, this is, like, a Hollywood actor, James Franco, like, walking around naked, which in most other films people, you know, probably wouldn't complain about. Maybe they would now because of some of the dodgy things that he's been accused of. But um, it's, like, it's just showed then that i was like actually like oh you know like it's tommy i don't want to see that and i was like oh wait like that's not tommy so it it was really weird to have have that moment but i am curious I, i wanted to ask alex actually like what like do you did you go into this film like oh this is like a terrible film and you came out like oh that's a masterpiece is it like do you enjoy it in like oh i love it because it's so bad or do you just generally think it is like misunderstood
3: i don't know how much i can commit to the bit here <laughs> um, I remember um, very specifically. I remember the first time I watched it. I watched it for the first time with an ex, um, and and one of my best friends. We all watched it at the same time, and like it's just one of those films. I think one of the few films that again I just can't take my eyes off it. Like there's no point in that film where I'm thinking, oh, this is a bit boring now," because it's just so bizarre. And I think it's like probably more engaging than almost anything else. Um, but it's because it's all unintentional And I think the beauty of it is that it's unintentional Well it's intentional but like the the What they've created is unintentional I think that's just like really really cool um, I do have a like I can see why people would say it's a bad film I can see like that it is a bad film In the way it's made and the script and all of that sort of thing But I think it all comes together so beautifully Like there's so many bad films that you get Ten minutes into watching, you're like, I just can't take this anymore. I can't deal with this anymore. Whereas this, you get ten minutes and you're like, What are they going to do next? Like, what, what what is happening here? Um, I like again, I don't think there's anything that's been created that's like it at all. I, I also remember. very much, distinctly remember um one of the fir- like very f- like first times I met Craig, we were not the first, but it was like in, in sub like five times of meeting Craig, um we were in the car. Traveling quite a long journey to Exeter and maybe 10-15 minutes in, Craig's oh, like, So what is your favorite film? Um, and I said the room. And I Craig looked very shocked at the time. Um, it was a good, it was a good time though. And I was like, this could have gone very wrong if I'd told the film podcast co-host, uh, like 20 minutes into quite a long drive that my favorite film was The Room and they took me too seriously. So
1: I obviously did have. I did have to question the realms in which you chose the basis of your favourite film, right? I love this film. I can't say it's my favourite film because I think that's sort of an insult to the wider film industry because you have loads of people who put in probably the same amount of effort and passion as Tommy Wiseau and more and produce films that would be considered like over- overly good. If I turn around and said, that's great, but I'm going to go with essentially the meme masterpiece, they'll go well, what's the f***ing point of my life?
3: I mean, like genuinely i i sat down the other day and i was like i'm gonna watch a good film today and i tried to watch reservoir dogs and i got to like i i've not seen the last 20 minutes of it i got so bored it's just so boring and yeah, that's quite controversial opinion i guess but I just
2: I do think that. Burn her. Have you been to then, or would you go to like midnight screenings because it's more common in America? But like there are there's like one or two theaters in London, for instance. I don't, I don't know if this should be like a, a well good movies road trip that we should do at some point. <laughs> is go to the Prince Charles Theater in London and like see see, see one of those things, and maybe post COVID when you can actually like do the because like 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 with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like you you get like you know people shouting things along with the screen and sort of throwing things at the screen and all that with this, you get people throwing like plastic spoons at the screen and, uh, throwing American footballs around the place. Is that something you have done or would do? Do you enjoy it that much?
3: I would hundred percent do that. If I had the opportunity, I would
2: definitely go to that. It awesome wasn't. Yeah. Cool. So that's the road trip sorted then. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're a of, we're a we'll organize it later.
0: Well, that that's a big, again, appeal of the film, isn't it? It's just that experience. That's what I remember so much about it was, um, like uh i think yeah the first time i watched it fully like sat down and watched it was in uh film society at university and it you know it was it was just such a laugh it was a room full of people watching in this like lecture theater and we were all just like pissing ourselves laughing so you know it is an experience and that you know and that goes similar to what people have said recently with blockbusters when people are cheering and clapping it's the same thing. It's the experience which adds to your, to your viewing of the film.
1: For me, my first time actually properly watching it, because I'd seen film reviews of this film, so I knew the sort of meme big moments. But my first time watching it, we actually played the Tommy Was So drinking game. So we did watch it, and some of the rules I remember are take a, uh, take a sip whenever he laughs inappropriately Take a sip when Greg doesn't know what's going on. Take a sip when the mother asks a question. Uh, take a drink when you see a picture of a spoon. I think it's like down your drink when they start playing football. Like there's some great moments there. And it was again, it was just a great experience.
2: Is this something that could like just make any film good, like, like it, it, does this mean there's no distinction between bad films and films that are so good they're so bad they're good, in that you could just take Pudsy the Doc the movie? and go, right, we're going to drink whenever an animal takes a shit. We're going to drink whenever, you know, people take Peltiti's, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to remember the film now, it was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, that's the problem, Ed, right? You can't remember the film well enough to be able to have those distinction moments. That's maybe why you shouldn't have put me through that. Sorry, I don't know where that came from.
0: Um... The, the weird thing I find with this as well, though, is like what you rate it as well, is like if you're looking at like famous films, etc., or you go to the cinema... And you're like, oh, yeah, you know, and you wanted to review it or like in your head, you're thinking like, yeah, so you know, five star film, etc. But that's why it's weird with the room. I've never been able to be like, how could you like actually write a review or rate it in the same way? Because there was something I saw uh, for university years ago, and it was the, I think it was Roger Ebert said about like, you know, what is the best ranking system? And he said, oh, in some ways, it might be, uh, I think what was called like the laughing man. And it was like, showing how much he was enjoying it. It was, like, a symbol of, like, a man asleep, and then, like, it was a man, like, sort of like, in, you know, engaged, and then, like, a man, like, laughing his head off or, like, enjoying it, which, you know, kind of fits with this film. It's, like, if you saw that in a review, you're, like, oh, yeah, it's a fun time. It's, like, keeps you really engaged. But in terms of, like, could you give it five stars because it's, like, really badly written and edited and that, you know, but it's enjoyable. So, I, I don't know. I've never been able to kind of... It's probably the one film I've never been able to say, oh, yeah, I could rate that. Something like even the Shark films, you know, Sharknado, you could say, oh, it's, you know, it's got its appeal, but you'd still give it two stars for whatever reason, etc. So
1: I have actually seen a a rating system that I think is actually quite good for films. Uh, It was developed by, or not developed, but certainly utilized to full extent by Jello Apocalypse for their uh, review X film in 10 words or less. But it's essentially the bell curve. So essentially, it's the ranking from uh ten to zero, but then also from like zero to minus ten so essentially, what constitutes like the bad form of bad is the closer to your you are to zero uh the worse it is because minus ten is like ironic enjoyment, so it's very much this film doesn't represent the traditional factors of what a good film should be. But be, But there are elements that make it so that you can fully enjoy this film, and I think the room is like the perfect example of a, of a minus 10 film. It goes against the entire curve of what a good film should actually be, and yet it produces a fantastic uh, a fantastic outcome, because it's because like zero is essentially there's no value to this film. You cannot say that of the room.
0: Yeah, so Letterbox essentially needs to add a minus system to their app. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I do think the, the other fun way to interpret this room, uh, the, this room, this film through ranking systems is to note that um the room does pass the Bechdel test.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the last time I properly watched this film, uh, I watched it along with Kiara, a a regular sort of a uh, regular guest on this podcast. Uh, I don't think she's talking to me anymore. Uh, Because she very much, uh, let's just say, could not see the full joy of this film, but very very much read this from the perspective of an incel, i.e. that the way that women were generally portrayed through the film was very just, like, women are inherently evil, and she was just very livid throughout, which is kind of an interesting way.
3: They do have conversations around things that aren't men, so...
2: Like breast cancer.
3: Like breast cancer, and they plan a birthday party. And they talk about real estate for a bit as well, at some point, so... Yeah, yeah. I
2: think think it is two men who who own the real estate, so it it, it might just be the breast cancer, I don't know.
3: Also,
1: they're organising a birthday party for a man.
3: She talks to Michelle about real estate.
1: Okay, I mean, let's be fair. The Bechdel test is not a perfect system. There are there are films that that are f- very powerfully feminist that fail the Bechdel test,
3: such as
1: Moana. Does
3: it fail the Bechdel test?
1: Yeah, because um, technically, only one woman in the film is named.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, the because gra- even though she talks to the grandmother a lot, not named.
3: Mm. I don't.
1: Yeah.
2: So, so one of the many memes of the film, or ways that the the the, the song has been memed, is through the Gregory Brothers doing a songify mashup uh, of the film and turning it into a good song, which I believe Craig knows more about.
1: Yeah, I I utterly adore this video. Essentially, the Gregory Brothers will just take a lot of clips and just put them through a lot of auto tune. Uh, so I think some of the examples that we were talking about earlier. Uh, were things like they've done presidential debates, they've done various news reports. I think they've even, I think one of the more popular ones. I'm happy to be wrong on this because it was David who told me this, but the "Ain't Nobody Got Time for That" sort of remix song came from them. But uh, they were requested to do the room a couple of years, and I just listen to it every now and then because it's, even though it's obviously auto-tuned as hell, it's actually quite a good tune. But obviously, the chorus has like a very strong line, which I think everyone so, couldn't sort of get involved in, which is just a lot of cheaping. So I am actually trying to learn all of the words to this song, but it's quite difficult because there's a part where it's just they're just saying hi to loads of different people. So all, getting the order of that is a bit difficult.
2: I'm finding it to imagine hard, finding it hard to imagine most of this song, Craig. Can you give us maybe a sample of some of it?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, I will sing. I will sing the chorus. And then talk about some of my favorite parts of this song. I did not hit her, oh hi mark, Lisa, Lisa, you're tearing me apart. You know what they say, love is blind. Let's go, we Huh? Everything is fine. Chip, 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 chip. I don't mind. Chip, 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 chip is fine chip 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 you're tearing me apart oh hi mark so yeah that's the chorus and like and there's basically scenes where they've just taken like his speech at the birthday party and sort of mashed that together and the end just sort of gets a bit chaotic but my favorite auto-tune line of that Is that they've taken the scene from uh, uh, Denny's confrontation with uh, Chris R. And they've just uh, they've just auto tuned very highly the what
3: kind of drugs do you take?
1: Which is just a fantastic moment. But yeah, there's just so many memes about the film, which is just great. I mean, thankfully, people don't make the memes because the film just does it itself.
3: My favourite bit about that is that where I live, I live with... um friends um and my room is almost entirely soundproof unless you stand right outside my door um so the as craig starts singing my um, like three or four of my flatmates are just in the hallway outside my door and i've had some very concerned texts they were like alex you said you were busy and it was important what is going on um and i don't know how to answer that so <laughs> we're
2: kinda... about the room how much more important do you want to get cheap 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 cheap, cheap, cheap.
0: It, it does just show, though, that song, how, how fantastic it is just to, like, those moments, even apart from them existing on their own, that it can make something so unique... In itself as well. You know, it's it's just like all of those lines, you know, like the cheap cheeps and you know, like love is blind, you know, like you hear that and you're just like, Wow, that actually does sound really poetic and kind of meaningful, but it's kind of like in this really weird, out of context bit of a film in which he's like, You know what they say? Love is blind and but it actually like does sound like it really fits in this like kind of like crazy Yeah, didn't that line become your favourite
1: line of the film at one point? You were just like, Oh, he's so sweet and naive saying it
0: i think it was more for the song that i liked it but yeah maybe it uh continued to make me laugh in the film as
2: well it's good sort of gateway drug then sort of uh, sort of to just have the song and sort of show people that and this is actually a very cool film very, very poetic and melodramatic and all that and then sidle them into the rest of the film later maybe when they can appreciate the ironic enjoyment of it
0: like Craig said, it's just a like, what kind of drugs did you take? But then when you watch the original scene again like that, it, it is just hilarious, like how frantic she is. And, you know, it's just great how that song can just cap, you know, capture all of that. And like, and it's just a catchy song at the end of the day as well. It's just like, so yeah, it's just funny how, you know, it's got all the things like, you know, them doing the chicken stuff and like them thrown around the ball. And so the, the song itself is like so much about like the infamy of the film uh but then becomes its own thing as well so it just shows like what what a meme machine that that movie is
1: yeah that and they also they also really emphasize the i love you as a human being uh line <laughs>
2: I think now normally uh, at this point normally in podcast episodes we would go to the movie vault to see if we wanted to put episodes in. Do we have access to the movie vault for this episode, or, or you know, does, does having control of the whole episode mean we can do that? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Are, are you going to regret it when the question is next? I'm going to next ask, which is, does the room deserve to go into the movie vault? We can also yes. talk about the disaster artist as well if you want to because that's been talked about that today. So we just said I heard had a yes from Craig. he and anything from David? I
3: just want you all to remember that I know vaguely where well all of you live, um, and I can match to <laughs> position.
0: No, I think the fact that this is like often referred to as the Citizen Kane of like bad movies, I think you know I would be all up for it as well. And I think that the disaster this would probably be more of a conversation. But yeah, I think that there's. We've just talked enough about the legacy, and like I said, because it is hard to say. Like, do you say it's five stars because it's so entertaining? You know, or is it like zero because it's like so badly made? It's just because it's such a unique film.
1: I also think this is slowly becoming the most profitable bad movie of all time, right? Because obviously, when it first opened, it it took a pitiful amount of money in comparison to its budget, but because of how much it's being viewed in the uh in the midnight showings and just all of the things around it it has now gone into a profit because of its status and i just don't see other films like that doing that sort of same thing and i i I definitely think it goes in right
0: yeah because we've often on on here even if it like justifies other entries such as good luck chuck you know we do have in the movie vault a mix of good and bad and you know you have to have the best of the best in terms of if it is you know a bad movie but yeah, it's just it's just so entertaining and I suppose if somebody was to look at this as a kind of example of bad filmmaking, they would see all the tropes there like weird CGI, like nonsensical dialogue, strange scripting problems, but then they would also see it for the amazing fun time it is because it because of its, you know, infamy and its legacy and just how it actually does show a lot of you know flay and and as i said earlier you know avant-garde filmmaker and Craig was like well you know it is because it is so original
1: also just how many bad films have films made about them right i think the disaster artist sort of exists and sort of justifies the wide legacy discussion that happens around the room which means we've got to have it as a representation
0: yeah well that's the interesting thing about disaster artists it adds to that kind of slew of films which are about that i don't know whether you could say that they started the trend but obviously they had ed wood which was the tim burton film like years ago which was about a filmmaker who like famously cut corners etc you also have dolomite is my name with eddie murphy who's very much again like a sort of cult filmmaker which had like purposely like low budget you know like strange films which was like you know that biopic if you will was like made for for Netflix, so and that you know did come out after the disaster artist. So it's strange how that's like a a type of movie in itself. But, but yeah, as the disaster artist, I don't know. I just don't know if it's it's a good telling of that story. But I don't know if it's a kind of well crafted enough film in itself.
2: I think yeah. I mean, I I, I I don't know if you've had an explicit rule of only putting one film into the vault anyway. But I think that if, if we're going to be putting uh, anyone from here, uh, I think we're unanimous that the the room should go in and then even yeah. not your answer about the disaster artist about the room is enough so here we go the room goes into the movie vault we're in the end game now. Oh, no. it's so,
3: so it's end game time with me your host for this section um the the description of this game what is this game i didn't actually come up with a name for it but um, it is, uh, there will be 10 questions and it is reviews of films and then I will give you the options of what those reviews could be talking about but all of the reviews are negative because I felt like we needed some more negativity
1: I love, I love this game
3: so there, are, there will be three options for each one if you just message me your option and then I'll ask it for you out loud so that there is no cheating going on and that no one can change their answers um, does that sound all right? Is everyone happy? Is everyone ready? So the first quote is, blank is like taking a bus trip with someone who has needed a bath for a long time. It's not merely bad. It's unpleasant in a hostile way. Is that A, Battlefield Earth? B, Plan 9 from Outer Space? Or C, Zardoz?
0: Can you say it once more?
3: The the quote or the, the options? Yeah, the quote. Blank is like taking a bus trip with someone who has needed a bath for a long time. It is not merely bad. It's unpleasant in a hostile way.
1: And then the options again are...
3: A, Battlefield Earth from 2000, B, Plan 9 from Outer Space, 1959, or C, Zardoz from 1974. Oh, I have an answer from Craig. Okay, so, Craig, can I have your answer?
1: I think it's Battlefield Earth. And David? I went for
0: Zardoz and I put in brackets if that's how it's spelled. You message... spelled
3: it correctly, but unfortunately oh, yeah. it is the wrong answer. Uh, with the correct oh. being Battlefield Earth. Well,
1: well, ah. I, I thought that might be See, the case. It's because
0: it said it was hostile. I thought, oh, well, it sounds like it's more like centered on like one entity.
1: Yeah, I just know the Battlefield Earth was, again, trying to be, you know, a standard sort of action film, but everything about it was so awful. I know a lot of people thought it was sort of aggressively bad. So that's why I just put it down.
0: I remember the John Travolta sort of...
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, John. So, question two. The quote is, it's every bit as atrocious as you may have heard. Nay, it's worse. Uh, and your options are, A, Glitter, 2001 b jack and jill 2011 or three uh c even uh giggly jiggly 2003
1: is that gilly by any chance i
3: don't know g-i-g-l-i gilly maybe
1: yeah all right uh could you spell nay for me by the way
3: n-a-y
1: cool so it's not the nay of a horse that's good to know <laughs> I just thought we'd trip it up if there was like a horse-related film there and somebody just trying to be funny and putting a pun. Uh
3: Craig, what was your answer?
1: I think it's Jack and Jill, but that's because I've seen it and I would use that description.
3: And David?
0: Uh yeah, I went for Jack and Jill as well, because I think out of those three, that seems the one that is the most awful.
3: To be fair, I did remember that you'd both watched this film. Um however, unfortunately, you're both incorrect and the answer was C. Um Usually, I don't know how you say it. I still don't know how you say it. I've not seen it. Interestingly,
2: um, and I'm not Interestingly enough, Dreely is the film that beat out the room to uh, Best Picture at the, at the Razzies that year.
1: Just checking, that is, um, that is Jennifer Lopez and uh, Ben Affleck, right?
3: I believe so.
1: Yeah, because uh the, the famous quote from that film has appeared on this podcast before. Yeah,
0: that's why I've been misinformed about this film. I thought I was like Oh, it must be a fun time. Yeah, because
1: it's um <laughs> yeah, it's basically she's in bed, she's in bed and she says it's turkey time. Huh? Gobble
3: gobble. A film of thunderous oafishness that gives adult subject matter the kind of bad name it does not need or deserve. And your options are a, Basic Instinct 2, Risk Addiction. B, Showgirls. Or C, Fifty Shades Darker.
1: Oh, God, that's a hard choice.
0: What's, can you say it again? Say the quote.
3: A film of thunderous oafishness that gives adult subject matter the kind of bad name is it does not need or deserve.
0: And the, the options again, sorry.
3: One, or A, Basic Instinct 2, Risk Addiction from 2006. B, Showgirls, 1995. C, uh, Fifty Shades Darker, 2017. Okay, both answers are in. We'll start with David this time. David, what answer did you go for?
0: I went for Fifty Shades Darker just because of the adult themes. but
1: I went for Showgirls because I think they do talk about adult films in that, in that film badly, but I'm focusing on the thunderous oafishness o-
3: well, oh, the answer was, in fact, B, Showgirl.
0: See, when I hear Thunderous O oh, all I like think of was something like Mad Max Thunderdome or something like that. So once that wasn't the options, I was like...
1: The moment I heard Showgirls, I thought it was like that. The moment I heard Fifty Shades Darker, I was just like, that could complicate things.
0: See, somebody was talking to me recently about Dream Girls, and that's where I got confused. I was like, well, what's that doing there? And when you said 1995, I was like, oh, wait, this is a different film. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: on to number four. Even if we put whitewashing aside for a moment, blank fails in so many avenues. It's boringly told sci fi movie, blandly directed action movie, and a deeply shallow adaption of some pretty excellent source material. And the options are A The Last Airbender 2010, B Ghost in the Shell 2017, or C Star Trek Into the Darkness 2013.
0: Oh, that's tough. <laughs> Can you say the quote once more?
3: Even if we put whitewashing aside for a moment, Blank fails in so many avenues. It's a boringly told sci-fi movie, uh, a blandly directed action movie, and a deeply shallow adaption of some pretty excellent source material. Ooh, I have both the answers. Craig, would you like to reveal what film you picked?
1: It's surely got to be Ghost in the Shell.
3: Why did you pick Ghost in the Shell?
1: So, obviously, the Scarlett Johansson... Being cast was a massive issue at the time it is a sci-fi film it is an action film and it technically is the only is the only one of the two sci-fi given which is a direct adaptation as opposed to star trek into darkness which technically just uses elements from wrath of khan as opposed to just completely remakes it
0: yeah, I went for Ghost in the Shell. I was going to go for Last Airbender, but when you said it again and I heard sci-fi, I was like, oh, okay, because to me, Last Airbender has more whitewashing in terms of the amount of characters, but then Ghost in the Shell has a very infamous case of that. And yeah, then once it was sci-fi, I was like, well, you can't recall Last Airbender sci-fi. And the same thing with Craig. He's like Into Darkness is not so much like a direct adaptation.
2: You are both correct, it was indeed.
1: Yay! I've never been happier for David to get points in an end game.
0: <laughs> I've never been more unhappy that Craig's had a point in an end game.
3: <laughs> okay, on to number five. Um, the film's premise is thinner than the heroine's G-string. <laughs> is it A, strip tease, B, basic instinct 2, or C, burlesque? and had the answers in. Uh, Craig, would you like to reveal your answer?
1: This this is a hard one. Uh, I ended up going with you no, did and
3: David? Uh,
0: I went for striptease because I thought that it because it was talking about a central protagonist, whereas I thought that the other films seemed to have like a sort of collective cast.
3: Yeah, and that logic has done David well because it was in fact made yeah. yep. striptease. Cool. Moving on to question six. Every time, Deck gave a phlegmy little stammer and jauntily uttered lines like, "I sailed, bean, I wanted to bop him on the ha- uh, bop him on the same with a rotten tangerine." So, your options are: A. Alice in Wonderland, B. The Lone Ranger, or three, um, three, C. Another one that I can't pronounce, Mortdecai, Mortdecai.
0: Uh, Mordecai, yeah. yeah, the Johnny Depp. Say the quote again, sorry, just the.
3: Every time Depp gave a flemmy little stammer and jauntily uttered lines like, "I sailed Bean. I wanted to bop him on the head with a rotten tangerine." Uh, cool David, what did you pick and why?
0: I went for Mordecai because I don't believe he says "old Bean" or anything like that in Alice in Wonderland. He's a bit more like weird and goes Scottish and stuff in that film and the second of what's the second one again uh Another
3: lone option. ranger
0: lone, yeah same thing because he's doing like native american in that i can't imagine you'd say old bean in that either
1: craig i also put mordecai um again just sort of thinking about the types of voices uh i know that people hated sort of depp's voice specifically in that film
3: you are both correct it was see mordecai
1: cool
3: Question seven, and we are almost neck and neck with David training by one point.
1: Wait, is it one point between us? Mm-hmm. I thought it, would be, I thought it was two, because I thought there was two that I got right that David got wrong.
3: And David got one right that you got wrong.
1: Oh, yeah, of course.
3: I'm, I'm keeping this floor carefully. Down yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry.
0: Don't forget striptease.
3: <laughs> uh, perfect. Number seven. It tries awfully hard, in the end, it tries our patience. Is it A, W, E, B, Grace of Monaco, or C, Swept Away?
1: I'm really sad that none of the options are it, because I thought that would be a really <laughs> smart way of <laughs> tripping that's what
0: I thought it was going to be.
3: Craig, what was your answer?
1: I've gone for Grace of Monaco, because I just think it sounds like the one that's going to be the biggest sort of production, So therefore, sort of trying hard, but potentially just trying our patience.
3: David?
0: I went for swept away. My initial thoughts were, well, if if something's going to try your patience, then maybe it's like a story in which there's some form of sweeping away or something like that. So I don't know. But after I was like, oh, it could be Grace and Monica. Well, I'm pleased to reveal that you're
3: both wrong. And it was W.E. Okay. A film I've never even heard of. There is eight, nine and ten left. Question eight. A movie that beats you into submission and makes you wonder if the sun will ever come out again. Is it A, Alien vs. Predator? B, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice? Or C, Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus? David, what was your answer?
0: I went for Batman vs. Superman because I think this is the first one that I actually have seen. I like this seemed familiar. So I thought beaten into submission there's a fight in it superman i don't know it just seemed like something like shark versus octopus etc is like more of a fun terrible so and what was the first option again
3: it was alien versus predator
0: yeah whereas again that that is terrible as well so that's the fight aspect but i don't know it it was because it was beat into submission which seemed like something batman you know superman could do to batman
3: okay your answer
1: I also had Batman v Superman. My logic for it was I think it's the only one of those three that I can see people genuinely being disappointed at not liking. Therefore, the sort of the, will the sun ever rise again is sort of you'd only say that if you, you know, cared about something deeply. I just don't know how many people would care about Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus in the same way. And also Alien versus Predator is going to be seen as such a cash grab. I just don't think people have the same emotional investment.
3: You are both correct. Um, And it was Batman versus Superman. Um, A film that I watched the director's cut of because my dad wanted to. um, And it will be many hours of my life that I will never get back.
1: And yet, the better version.
3: It was so tiring.
1: I mean, I've not seen it and I refuse to, but apparently it is the better version.
3: Well, on to question nine. Every truly awful movie epic has a point of no return. A moment when the accumulated bad lines and bogus sentimentality becomes so cloying that the best defence against a mounting queasiness is an awed amusement. Is it? A, The Postman, 1997. B, The Postman Always Rings Twice, 1981. Or C, Postman Pat, the movie, 2014. (laughs)
0: I was when you said the postman I was like postman pat and then when you said the second one I was like oh they're all postman films I can't tell if this oh (laughs) so many questions
3: David what was your answer and why
0: (laughs) I was thrown with the whole epic thing but I was just I'm just gonna go for it because maybe that's what this review is going for in terms of irony so I went for postman pat
1: uh, I went for The Postman. I know that people had a massive problem with that film. However, I've been regretting it ever since because I feel like <laughs> the very end of the review might lean towards The yeah. Postman Pat. I can reveal that the answer is, in fact, A The Postman. Oh, oh,
3: oh, oh, I've won! I've won!
0: Oh, damn it. <laughs> it was between those two. I was like, oh, The Postman rings twice. That's
1: not going to be an epic well let's go for the last question anyway
3: <laughs> so blank does not chew scenery blank starts neatly at each corner of the set in every scene and swallows it whole Col- <laughs> co-stars in- <laughs> is it a nicholas cage in vampire's kiss b jack nicholson in batman or c faye dunway in mummy dearest
1: Oh, so it's an actor this time as opposed to a film.
3: Yeah. Ooh. Surely. Mm. Craig, what was your answer and why?
1: I feel like Nicolas Cage is there as a trick, so I've gone Faye Donaway.
3: And David?
1: <laughs> I went for Nicolas Cage.
0: Because <laughs> I went with the, the what well, people do in the endgame challenges of like that seems like a very Alex thing to put in there as well. <laughs>
3: Well, I can reveal that the answer to the last question is C. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> Damn it.
3: Which means the final scores are Craig with seven and David with four.
0: Oh, I'm so happy! <laughs> Damn it. The streak I
1: continues.
0: Had... I know. I had so much to prove in this.
1: <laughs> Which oh, that means I. That means I also oh so there's a particular reason why listeners i'm very happy about this because this is where we're going to be introducing the brand new format for well good movies which is this we told you that we're going to be allowing some ability for people to know what films are going to be coming up in the future uh this is the way we're going to be doing it essentially david and i have chosen a film each Which will be based on the type of uh, the discussion of the episode that has come up, which we will then pose to the winners as um, as basically their option as of what we discuss in the next week's episode. So in this situation, because I'm the winner, I get to choose the film that will be discussed in our brand new format starting next episode onwards. So David, are we excited?
0: I guess so. It depends what it's like compared to mine. Okay,
1: so actually, first of all, before we talk about what will actually be done, I'm mean, in, i interested to know what film you would have chosen.
0: It's also noted in as well that there'll be flexibility for people to choose, have their choice as well. Yes, so there, there like is also that. Our options. Yeah, so there'll be our options and their choice. So we might never get our choice again. We have to use this while we can. I went for uh, the 2007 film, Stardust. Uh, due to The Kingsman has recently come out, I thought a nice time to go back to the early days of Matthew Vaughan's career. Uh, a lot of people are also very surprised when Charlie Cox uh, sort of started his career there, and everyone loves Charlie Cox because you know he's a bit of a daredevil, and he has recently been speculated and talked about because of a certain film.
1: Interesting. So here is what will actually be discussed in next week's episode. When we discuss this format, David told me that what I should try to do is one of two things one try and think of something that has a bit of legacy behind it that people could have you know some degree of interest in, and b if there is a way in which it could be somewhat connected, even if it's a very loose connection, that is how we'll do it and and thankfully, because of the discussion we had today, my film fulfills both so it is a david, do you know what it is? you probably don't know what it is oh, okay what do you no, I was worried what do you
0: think there. it is no you you say, you go on okay. Through.
1: It's a film from 2009 which has a later sequel. Here are the ways it's connected. In terms of a legacy, it is featured uh, it features a character that has a string of uh, of books and other films and other media properties behind them. And this is an interpretation of this character that I've never seen that I'm actually interested to do and usually it's only the podcast in which I get to do it. The second link to this episode is twofold. One we've obviously had dis- some discussion of Disaster Artist. Two, we briefly mentioned the idea of Ed Wood. What that is, is basically we're uh, looking at films about filmmakers. And there's another one that I think a lot of people sort of uh, put into that in terms of, you know, films about famous film stars, film creators, which is Chaplin. Chaplin obviously starring uh, Robert uh, Robert Downey Jr. So... Robert Downey Jr. alongside a literary character from uh, from history with lots of media properties, notably from the world of Arthur Conan Doyle. So, Ed, I can already see you smiling at this. So Ed's already twigged. So, Ed, would you like to tell everyone what we're going to be looking at
2: next week? At my specialist subjects at Mastermind, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock
1: Holmes. And yeah, that is the third additional link as well. Sherlock Holmes. So, that is going to be our episode for next week. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Hey David, are you excited?
0: Yeah, definitely. Actually, recently I wanted to rewatch those films because I never saw the sequel either. So, um Yeah, I, I did see the original one in the cinema, but um I kind of wanted to revisit it because a lot of people do have a lot of affection for that. And yeah, we're still in that, you know, late, nought- you know, late 2010 20, 2000s era. So, kind of has that uh, era i was going for as well
1: so that is the that is my prize for the end game
0: right so well thank you guys for taking over an entire episode for us to give us um, a nice break there you know at the beginning of the new year and yeah it was very refreshing uh to, to see those roles reversed and uh Yeah, we've got obviously our new format, which Craig's just gone through there. That's going to be really exciting for the new year. And the great thing about it is that everyone at home can get involved as well. So as, you know, the winners and the films are chosen, we'll be putting those out on socials. So if if at home you want to watch along with us, so, you know, same as Craig, if you've never seen Sherlock Holmes, it won't be like previous episodes, we won't be sort of springing these films on you. You can kind of go, oh, I'm going to watch Sherlock Holmes before that episode. And you can kind of like talk about it with us. Um, so we you know want more suggestions like that in terms of, like what films do you want to see us discuss whether they should go into the movie vault that'll be you know our big questions from now on uh, focusing on these movies. So yeah we got a great start and from there on in it'll be interesting to see where they go each episode in terms of how we link them in, how they're relevant at that time so it's gonna be an exciting time we've got lots of new guests on the way as well uh, so yeah we're, we're looking forward to it but uh yeah thank you once again uh, Ed and Alex I hope you've enjoyed. Your prize, and uh, we're sure to have you back again soon. Uh, anything lastly you want to say, uh, Alex? How how was um, hosting the end game?
3: Um, it was all right. I don't think I've quite got Craig's charisma yet, but we'll get there eventually. We'll do it again. it's All right. Well, me and Ed will win another challenge and put you through some more terrible films.
0: Go watch the room. <laughs>
3: Go watch the room and watch Twilight. That's that's it. It's my advice to the people.
0: Ed, anything lastly from yourself?
2: Here, have, you, have your podcast back. It's, it's, it's been it's, it's been enjoy having it for one episode. Uh, well, we're
0: glad you enjoyed, guys. Uh, yeah, so thank you very much uh, for everything you've done. It's been a really fun start to the new year. Yeah, and go check out, uh, if you haven't seen how Ed and Alex won this prize, and go check out the Endgame Champions Cut, as we called it. In terms of ourselves, you can catch us on all the socials. As I said, we'll be posting... Uh, frequent updates now with sort of like fun trivia and you know more info of the films we'll be covering what's in the vault etc so uh, and then we'll be talking about uh, next episode uh, in two weeks time we'll be talking about Sherlock Holmes uh, from 2009 so yeah catch us on all the socials at Twitter Facebook Instagram at Well Good Movies. you can also catch us on our website which is freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies where you can catch all of our episodes and you can subscribe over on places like spotify itunes google podcasts make sure you uh review on itunes if you can it helps us out an awful lot and you can also uh, interact on spotify as well we have things like questions that go up on there you can follow us there as well uh anything you can do to sort of like share support us is all very much appreciated so uh craig anything lastly from
1: yourself two nil david two nil <laughs>
0: <laughs> in my head I even said this the other day it's like 3-0 especially when we've gone on to other podcasts oh yeah it's 3-0 <laughs> yeah, beating me at other games so uh, yeah we'll have to have you guys back just so we can do another challenge and I can try and win but uh, at least at least I didn't do too poorly it, 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 it,
2: it'll be best out of 7 this time right okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah well thank you for joining us guys uh, everyone at home we hope you join us on the next episode talking about Sherlock Holmes, and uh, have a good one. See you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Ta-ta. Usually at this point, I would be messaging David privately, being
3: like, all right, move it on. I can't do that. I mean, you've effectively just done it.